Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. I hope you're doing well, washing your hands, staying safe. Weather's turning a little bit sunnier, so uh, hopefully you're getting some some sunshine. My guest on today's show is David Scott. He's an award-winning producer and correspondent for HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. On the April edition of Real Sports, Scott brings us an eye-opening segment that explores the role sports leagues and organizations domestically and overseas may have had in the spread of COVID-19 in the crucial days and weeks when the virus took root and became a pandemic. Scott's going to join me today to discuss his story in greater detail, as well as ponder when it will be safe to return to live sports and mass gatherings. I think you'll enjoy our conversation. And it's pretty sobering, so uh, you're definitely going to want to take note. I'm joined virtually by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. And uh, hey, a new month. We're in May now, so that's positive, right? We're moving forward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, March seemed like it lasted forever. April went a little bit faster, but it still seemed like it lasted a long time. I mean, the thing that's crazy, Griggs, is so March 11th was kind of the first day when NBA canceled games and when things started to shut down. That seems like two years ago, and it's two months ago. So this has moved pretty slowly for a lot of people, and I think people are getting impatient now. You know, we've seen uh, governors in California try and close the beach, and people are saying, no, we need to go to the beach. And you know, it's just crazy uh, with what's going on. But as Americans, we're not usually very patient. We're also used to our freedoms. So I think people are getting impatient. I think when you hear this story today, though, with David Scott, it's going to make you think twice about going to mass gatherings and, and getting back out there. There are still a lot of precautions that need to be taken before we resume life to anywhere near normal. Yeah, he has some great insights on that too. And just things you don't really think about. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's, a, you don't, you know, big crowds, big gatherings. You're like, Oh, that's true. We should probably think about that further. And it's funny too, like watching these old games and old stuff on TV with these crowds. You never even thought about crowds. And now I'm looking in the crowd like, what are those people standing next to each other for? Yeah. Uh, a few headlines that we'll get to. So NASCAR is returning on May 17th, but Griggs are going to do so with no fans in attendance. So, you know, as we've discussed many times on this show, when sports first returns, it's probably going to do so without fans. And NASCAR is going to try this out May 17th. They'll have a race. It'll be on Fox, but there won't be fans in attendance. What do you think? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because NASCAR, I mean, they, especially in the South, they pull massive, massive fan groups. So it'll be interesting to see 
no fans around. And, and part of the whole NASCAR experience is the pit time and going down and seeing the cars and all that. So it'll be really uh, interesting how the coverage, how Fox handles it and what they show and what they don't show and uh, how it looks. It'll be interesting. Little League World Series has been canceled for the first time since 1947. So that won't be happening. And, you know, again, I think good precautions are being taken there. It's disappointing for the kids, but uh, I think that's probably the right call. I agree too. I and mean, you got kids and families and young ones. It's even more important, I think, to keep the kids safe. So I have totally backed that one. The NBA and Major League Baseball still exploring lots of options for resuming their seasons. You've heard NBA Commissioner Adam Silver kind of target May 1st, which is today, as the date when decisions might start to be made. They wanted to take April to really explore the landscape and see how things progressed. And Two scenarios that are under consideration. One, and this has been talked about before on the show, is Las Vegas and doing something at the MGM. And the G League has had their showcase there. They've hosted 28 teams before. You would have two courts that have games going. Three courts would have practices going. But you would keep all of the teams sequestered within the same hotel, and you would try and keep everyone in a bubble so to speak. So that's one scenario. The other scenario that's gaining momentum is possibly doing this at Disney World. And it's a resort. You could, you know, it's already shut down. So they could have all the teams there at Disney World. I've actually been to the Disney World complex and they've got lots of great basketball facilities and courts. And, you know, you've got the resorts there, several resorts. So you could spread the teams out into different hotels if you needed to. If I had to pick between the two, I think Disney World is the better option. But Griggs, you know, these teams and these leagues are are trying to get the rest of their seasons in. Major League Baseball has a much longer season to complete than the NBA does because they were just starting their season. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see if a solution can be made. And then, you know, are we looking at just made-for-TV events for 2020 without fans in attendance? Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more events without the fans for sure, just to be safe. And I think the NBA is moving in the right direction. I think their plan for putting it all in one spot is brilliant. And I agree with you. I think Orlando, you got the resort there. It's a bigger area. They've already got basketball stuff set up. So I think that seems like a no-brainer. And like you said, already closed. So um, it'd be interesting to see how that moves forward. But I think you're going to see a lot of made-for-TV 2020 sports. Yeah. The other thing that's coming up that I'm looking forward to, I know you are too, and it looks like it now has... Uh, a date attached to it is Memorial Day weekend. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady playing in a made for TV foursome. That's going to be fun to watch. We've already seen Tiger versus Phil match play on TV. Now you add Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. I think that's going to get great ratings. Definitely. I mean, those, th- those four right there are just big time names of all sports. So I'm definitely tuning in for that one. And hopefully Tom Brady will show up to the right golf course and not show up to the wrong house. <laughs> wow. So I guess it's Tiger and Peyton versus Phil and Tom is the matchup. Who do you got? Uh, I'm going to go Tiger Peyton. I don't know why. I just think Tiger, Tiger seems to be good in the big, big events. So uh, I'm going with Tiger. Yeah, I'm going to go Tiger Payton as well. I, I've heard, I've never seen Tom Brady play golf. I know he plays a lot. I've heard Payton's a better golfer than Tom Brady. And I think Tiger wants revenge on when Phil beat him before, even though, you know, I don't know that match. Remember that match? It was like getting dark and they're like still trying to complete the match and it's dark outside and they finally 
on like the fourth extra hole. Phil beat him, but Tiger doesn't like to lose. So I'm going Tiger Peyton as well, but it'll be fun to watch. And, uh, you know, another made for TV type of event. What else is going on in the, uh, the Griggs household? Well, um, Good question. We went and got groceries yesterday. That's a big time uh, out of the house move for us. So uh, that was fun. <laughs> and that's about it. Uh, no big weekend plans uh, this weekend. I know if in Oregon, it's supposed to rain pretty bad. So we'll uh, probably be hunkered down inside. I have gotten out the paddleboard and I have been out on the lake paddleboarding. And uh, that is a good social distancing activity. You can go out there and it's just me and the ducks. So or the geese. So it's a good exercise and uh, hope to be doing plenty more of that as the weather warms up. All right, coming up next, David Scott, the award-winning producer and correspondent of HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumble. Tell you, if you get HBO, you need to watch Real Sports and you need to watch David Scott's piece. We're going to discuss that next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAS and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. My guest is David Scott. He's a veteran TV journalist and real sports with Bryant Gumbel's first producer correspondent. His work as a network news producer has won some of the industry's highest honors, including five news and documentary Emmy awards. You can follow real sports on Twitter at real sports HBO. Of course, you can catch real sports on HBO. David, thanks for joining me on sports business radio. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Let's start with. You know, these are unique times and your story that we're going to talk about outlines that, but just producing a show like real sports and doing it during COVID-19, how has your job changed? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's just, uh, it's just unbelievable how, how, um, how much and how fast the, the world changed. You know, real sports is kind of like the opposite of everything else in sports media. Uh, we do, uh, we don't play on the 24 hour news cycle. We do 30 stories a year. And we try and do, um, do the sort of definitive story on, on whatever we're covering. Um, and, uh, and, and really, you know, quality production is, is the hallmark of, uh, of, of the show. Um, we don't try and, uh, and compete on, on, uh, in terms of volume. So, so, you know, it was, um, it was difficult to figure out what our role would be in, in, uh, at the outset of this crisis. Um, you know, we're not doing breaking news. And so it was hard to justify uh, keeping our people in the field, exposing camera crews and, uh, and interview subjects. Um, and, um, and, uh, ultimately we decided to, to try and, you know, put together a show from our basements and living rooms, um, that would, uh, that would still have the sort of signature DNA of, of real sports, um, uh, but, uh, but would by necessity, 
uh, look and feel uh, somewhat different. And um, well, I'll leave it to uh, to you to tell us if we if we succeeded in this first effort in April. Um, but um, but we uh, we did feel like uh, we had a uh, you know we had a a, a continued relevance. Um, in in covering the crisis through the lens of sports and uh, and and also I would say an opportunity to to reinforce our role as the place that um, uh, that viewers turn to understand the intersection of uh, of sport and society and there's probably no better example than this. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think you guys did an outstanding job given the circumstances on your April show. You did a piece that was really eye-opening, a segment that explores the role sports leagues and organizations domestically and overseas may have had in the spread of COVID-19 in the crucial days and weeks when the virus took root and became a pandemic. Did sports leagues react too slowly to shutting down the games? I don't think there's any question that they, they uh, that many of them, um, and including all of the major uh, U.S. sports league, um, uh, acted too slowly and and resisted too long the calls by public health authorities uh, to stand down. Um, you know, we we start our story on February 19th in Milan. Uh, that's where the so-called Game Zero soccer game happened. Um, and, uh, and, and lit a fire of contagion that eventually swallowed the entire northern uh, region of, uh, of, of Italy, the Lombardy region, uh, and, uh, and ultimately um, all of that country and, uh, and, and spread through, through Europe. In fact, um, there's now genetic tape. Uh, tracing of the virus that um, indicates um, the strain that landed here in New York also came from Milan. I don't know that it came from somebody who was sitting in that stadium, but it very well might have been. Uh, what's uh, what's beyond question is that um, is that uh, one single live spectator sporting event uh, in the middle of this crisis can actually move the needle. Uh, and so, when in the first week of March. Uh, authorities in uh, in the Bay Area were calling on all institutions to to stand down mass gatherings. Uh, and one industry alone resisted those calls, the live sports industry. Um, it, it actually it actually threatened uh, the work that uh, that public health authorities were doing to to stem the, the the spread. And nobody will ever know exactly to what extent. But every epidemiologist we talked to. Um, uh, uh, was sanguine that um, that acting too slowly in the first two weeks of March um, added cases and human suffering and even lives to the toll. Yeah, you guys use some interesting tracking too. Uh, you basically tracked where people went after spring training games in March, and the conclusion I saw, and correct me if I'm incorrect on the numbers here, but that the fans who were at spring training games and left those games in Florida could have infected 72,000 people resulting in 875 deaths as a result of going to spring training games in March. No, uh, let me, let me, uh, let me, uh, let me put this into perspective because I think you, you, uh, you, you completed two different parts of, of our report. Um, you're right about those numbers, but they don't relate to the spring training games. They relate to the 34 major sporting events that were held in the U.S. on March 11th, the last day that the full sporting calendar was was played. We, we did two two different um, 
two different studies in conjunction with uh, with two different um, uh, sort of quantitative um, uh, centers. Uh, with Spring Break, we we tracked the cell phones of the of the fans that attended uh, five games on March 12th. This was this was after the Florida governor. Um, uh, you know, uh, requests strongly recommend that all mass gatherings be be uh, be cancelled or or postponed. Um, and 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 actually, after Major League Baseball itself announced that it would do so, they they still went ahead with uh, with five spring training games on that day. We tracked uh, through a company called Tectonics. We tracked the cell phones of uh, of those fans, and you know the conceit of spring training is sort of dual dual fold. It, it it routinely attracts fans from not just Florida but all over the country, um, and uh, and it also promises you know more intimate contact with uh, your favorite teams and players than you would ever be able to have during the regular season. So so both of those dynamics actually contribute to the combustion of contagion. Um, and so the, the, the cell phones that were, were tracked were, were those of, of fans that attended that last day of spring training games. And, uh, and, 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 and But you're right that it, it did reflect this mass migration out of Florida um, to, um, to various parts of the, of the U.S. Separately, uh, through the University of Toronto, we worked with the COVID uh, Science Collaborate, Collaborative um, which, uh, which studied the likely impact on, on caseload, on COVID caseload of the, uh, of the 34 professional sports events that took place in the U.S. on March 11th. And, uh, and their most likely scenario suggested that, um, that it, that it could have added as many as 72,000, uh, positive, uh, symptomatically infected cases uh, to the toll and uh, and as many as 875 lives. So so you're, so you're right about the the facts. They just relate to two different things. Yeah, it's really stunning because it you know as I watched your piece, there's a lot of talk right now about resuming sports and what would that look like and should there be fans in attendance. And my main conclusion after seeing your pay, your piece was, we'd be crazy to have fans in attendance and. You know, it's very risky even having the athletes there. But uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, these these leagues and uh, sports? NASCAR announced today they're going to be resuming racing. The NBA is talking about playing potentially at Disney World in Orlando and, and kind of keeping everyone in a bubble. Do you think there's a safe way to resume sports or should we not be resuming sports until there's a vaccine? Right. Good. Good. It's 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 the big question, really. And um, and and you know, um, neither you nor I nor probably the, the the major sports leagues themselves are in a good position to answer it. This is really something that we should all be turning over to the scientists and then committing ourselves to following the science. It'd be very easy to amidst all of the economic pressure, all of the cultural pressures to resume normal life, and and uh, and and you know, sports is a big part of that. Um, to to make these decisions ahead of the uh, of the science, it would also be a disaster to do so, and it would uh, prolonging the sustainable return to uh, to to a kind of normal sports calendar. Um, you know, I, I think you know what we've learned from 
from this first chapter of spectator sports and COVID is that truly a single game under the wrong circumstances in the wrong place can move the needle, can actually lead to a, a chain of contagion that, um, that, uh, that drives um, uh, infection and, and, and disease spread. Um, and, um, and, and so, you know, if you think about it, sports, live spectator sports are, 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 are among the, the, the biggest crowds regularly scheduled gatherings of, of people in, in this country and all over the world. Um, and, um, and, and not only are they, you know, sitting there in close quarters by the tens of thousands, but they're cheering and jeering, they're fiving, they're drinking, they're yelling, they're screaming, you know, when a goal is scored or a run is scored, um, uh, the, the place explodes in, in a jacuzzi of, of droplets. Um, and, and so I think, you know, there, there, there must be going forward an appreciation of, of, of just how, how damaging and threatening those conditions can be uh, at the outset of an, uh, of an outbreak. And, and then, you know, even going forward from where we are now. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't have a, I don't have an answer to, to that question. Um, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned because I know that, um, uh, amidst the eagerness to to return to to um, to you know the, the cultural importance of sports in our in our lives and the economic value of sports in our lives, it'd be very easy to make decisions um, ahead of the science, and um, and I think that is really uh, the great danger here now. Yeah, and as you pointed out in your piece, you said a typical Golden State Warriors game brings the club about $3.7 million in revenue. So there's a lot of money at stake here. During the playoffs, they make even more money. It's the the struggle with some of these owners and leagues. It's a lot of money at stake, but the safety of the fans. You also pointed out in your piece, rightly so, if you're putting signs up outside the Chase Center warning people if they come inside that you're not liable if they get sick. It just seems to me like I'm not going in that building, right? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, here we, here we see the enormous um, credibility that, uh, that that major U.S. sports leagues have with, uh, with fans. Um, and, um, you know, <laughs> I think most fans, you know, probably trust their teams and, and assume that uh, they wouldn't be holding these games if it wasn't safe, and you know, and frankly, uh, you know, for for what they they charge for for a, for a ticket uh, to these games, um, you know, fans would want to believe that, right? That uh, that it's possible to redeem the ticket, go in and watch the game safely. Um, but that's not true in in this case, um, and 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 I think um, you know it it's it's beyond the the question of 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 the the, the gate take at these games you know there's there's all kinds of of uh, of tv money involved right and, and all kinds of sponsorship money involved i mean you you get to the tens and hundreds of millions very quickly in the case of the olympics um you get to the billions very quickly um and then actually the international olympic committee was you know was was last of the of the big leagues to to stop that it wasn't until march 24th that they finally um uh, conceded that um, that they could not hold the summer games. Um, um, you know, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot more story that goes with that because you know what we see is the sort of end product of this long road of qualification 
um, events that, that require the gathering of athletes by the thousands all over the world. I mean, the Olympics is the most globalized of all sports leagues. And so when they have gatherings, the implications for, uh, for bringing people from you know, multiple countries and then sending them across the world, um, from a, uh, from a disease perspective, uh, very, very serious. And, fact, um, you know, we've been tracking some of the Olympic trials that took place in the middle of March that the International Olympic Committee refused to cancel, uh, in which um, you know, a thousand uh, boxers and their and their trainers um, assembled in London um, and then returned to 46 different countries. Some of them with um, with, uh, with COVID-19. Uh, there were trials held in Costa Rica for for another context, Taekwondo. Uh, in, in, uh, in Canada for another context, sport wrestling. Um, these are sports in which spit and snot and, and blood uh, and sweat are routinely traded. And, and, and at a time when the IOC staff and leadership were, you know, safely um, working from home on their laptops, they had athletes from all over the world gathering um, and, and, uh, and, and risking their, their health and risking the spread of the virus. So I think you know it's hard it's hard not to conclude that the money is um, is a driver here and uh, and and it, it may require uh, restraint. It certainly requires leadership, and there's a hugely important leadership role for sports organizations to play in, in these circumstances. Imagine if the IOC and the major sports leagues in this country uh, use their immense popularity to to try and affect public behavior for the better. To explain to fans that to stand down and you have to stay home to the extent that that's that's possible, uh, in order to you know um, before too long, uh, although maybe many months away, resume the normal sports calendar. Um, but unfortunately, that's not what happened here. Uh, this is the story of, of sports leagues who uh, who resisted until they could no longer resist, until they were in many cases forced by by government mandate. In the case of the NBA, forced by by positive tests uh, to to finally shut down, um, but it was um, unfortunately too late to to um, uh, to move the needle back. I do feel like since that happened, and I agree with you, but since it happened, you know, we've seen the hand washing videos, and we've seen some of the athletes from some of these leagues, including the NBA, trying to educate fans on the importance of washing their hands and staying home. Would you agree with that? I and mean, I know, you know, it was well, done relatively late, you know, but you know, there are lots of examples of, of uh, sports world stepping up and uh, and finding really creative, really innovative ways of ways of, of, of helping in the crisis. And and my colleague John Frankel does a, a whole story about that in this full show, including you know Formula One, uh, the Formula One race car team from Mercedes Benz that stopped production on engines to. Uh, to invent a new kind of, um, of, uh, of, of respirator for, for hospital use. Um, you know, there are apparel companies that, uh, that rallied and turned their, and turned their operations from, uh, from making, uh, making jerseys to, to making gowns and masks. Um, there, there are lots of, there are lots of good, noble projects that have come from the sports world, um, uh, from individual players, from, uh, from, uh, from individual companies. And, um, and, and, you know, the more of that that we see, the better. Um, but, you know, the, the, the takeaway from, from my story is if you are in the context of a raging pandemic 
bringing together tens of thousands of people to sit in a in, in close quarters and uh, and and trade vapors. Um, well, that's the most risky thing that you can do, and and we're you know deliberately focusing on a period of time when. Uh, if the sports league didn't know what to do, they were being told what to do by credible public health authorities at every level of government all over the country. Um, and so, you know, perhaps in January and February, it might be a defense um, that uh, was too soon before anybody could really sort of, you know, uh, focus on the big picture. But uh, but early in March, um, we have. Uh, we have example after example of public health authorities all over the country saying the same thing: staying down these mass gatherings, and uh, and and all kinds of industries responded. Um, but unfortunately, the the uh, professional sports industry did not. Well, the term that is going to stand out in my mind going forward is game zero, as you pointed out with that full stadium in Italy. You just think if anyone gets together in the future for a mass gathering, it's game zero or event zero. So that was something that stuck with me. David, I know you've been around sports for a long, long time. What do you think the new normal looks like coming out of this if we do get back to the point in time in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, when there are the mass gatherings and people are attending sporting events in person. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard for, for me and I'm, I'm not a medical professional. I, I you know, I, I claim no expertise in this, but it's very hard for me to imagine um, a, a return to the, the, the live spectator sports as we know them, uh, before there's a before there's a vaccine, uh, or a, at least a sustained decline in in uh, in new in new cases, um, to some critical point that I'll you know leave it to the the, the CDC to to define. Um, but um, but I but I, you know given that um, the the conditions created in a live spectator sport event. Uh, you know, are, are just tailor made for the spread of, uh, of of disease, for the communication of disease, um, and and with what we know about um, you know how 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 strict, how how relatively extreme social distancing has to be in order to be effective, um, uh, I'm having a very hard time imagining uh, what a spectator sport event could look like in the current era. And, and one part of it is, 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 you know, is the fan base. But, but, you know, but say, say we hold these, these major events without a single fan. You know, uh, you probably, you probably have hundreds of people, uh, to put together these, uh, these, uh, these, these, these events from, from a, from a production standpoint, um, from a, you know, from a, from a medical standpoint, um, between the trainers and, 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 and health professionals that have to be there just you know, intervene in in uh, in, uh, in injuries um, from you know the point of view of the players themselves. Uh, you know, when we get to football, um, you know there are there, there there are hundreds of players involved in a in a in a single game, whether they're you know on the field or, or on the bench. Um, you know, add to that their coaching staffs, uh, their media staffs, their training staffs, uh, the stadium personnel. Um, you know, it's, we're still talking about, about large gatherings um, uh, with a lot of close contact, and and you know whether or not they can radically enough sanitize an environment, or 
create some kind of bubble. Uh, I think, you know, the, the jury is still out on that. I, I know that that's being discussed all over the world. China's, you know, been talking about uh, return to their basketball uh, under, you know, under some kind of, of controlled settings like that. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I think all of that is, is well and good and they should, you know, they should be you know, approaching that uh, from a creative standpoint. I just hope that they keep the science and the scientists at the center of these decisions because what's at stake is, is nothing short of, of, of our collective public health, without which, frankly, nothing else is possible, uh, including a sustained return to, uh, to live sports. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we at Real Sports are going to continue to follow this beat and follow these stories and, and try and, and, and bring to the audience, uh, you know, uh, as much good reporting as, as we can. Um, but, um, but I, I, and I'll tell you personally, it makes me very nervous to, to hear, uh, the zeal with which, uh, um, you know, people are ready to, uh, to, to resume live spectator sports because, um, as wonderful as they are, as important as they are in our lives, um, uh, in times of peace, uh, when uh, when we're fighting a viral outbreak with uh, with uh, with no herd immunity, with uh, no vaccine, with no treatment, we have one weapon, and the one weapon is social distancing, and it has to be pretty harsh, pretty strict in order to succeed. Um, and uh, and what better way to undermine that uh, than uh, than bringing uh, bringing uh, people together in large numbers uh, to play out contact sports? David Scott, he is a veteran producer and correspondent for HBO's Real Sports. He does amazing work, award-winning work. You can find his latest segment on the April edition of Real Sports on HBO. David, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Continue to be safe and great work with this story. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenAndMain.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at Boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Open Doors helps athletes share content on social. 
Founded in 2012 by two former Nebraska football players, Opendoors has become the world's leading athlete marketing platform. More than 6,000 athletes around the world use Opendoors to receive content from partners and publish to their personal social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all with one click. Opendoors makes it easier than ever before for brands, including sponsors and licensees and properties, to push approved content through the player's social channels. Leading sports organizations like the PGA Tour, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, the LPGA, and dozens of professional and collegiate sports teams use the platform to send video highlights, photos, GIFs, and more to athletes. The publishing process is very easy and convenient. Once registered, athletes receive a text message when their team, league, or brand partner has content for them to share on social media. The athlete simply reviews the content and hits approve. Open Doors does the rest. If you're an athlete, start using Open Doors as a tool today to build your personal brand and maximize your value on social media. If you're a brand trying to connect with athletes who you thought you'd never be able to gain access to on your own, Open Doors is your solution. Open Doors makes athletes more accessible to the people who support them. Visit opendoors.com or follow them on social media at Open Doors.